The market doesn't joke around, so why would you? Get serious. Choose Tasty Trade. Tasty Trade gives you the tools you need to make smarter moves. Dig into data with advanced charting, track profit accurately with order chain trackers, see risk clearly with curve analysis, and trade with low-capped commissions, stocks, options, futures, and more. All on one platform. No wonder serious traders choose Tasty Trade. Join the club, genius. Tasty Trading is a registered broker-dealer and member of FINRA and SIPC. I'm Frank Holland, and you're listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. Our show is live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. Listen in. It is 5 a.m. here at CNBC Global Headquarters, and here is your 5 at 5. We begin with stocks. They're trying to extend their win streak to four as the small caps do something for the first time since July, what it could mean for the market's next move. Also, a busy day for Fed speakers on rates ahead of the November meeting. Why some say the markets are doing Jay Powell's work for him. And a big win for Novo Nordisk, and it's push to make Ozempic even more ubiquitous than it already is. Plus, we continue to monitor the war in Israel now in its fifth day. We have a live report from Tel Aviv in just a moment. And then later in the show, despite the massive run-up in Treasury yields, one huge part of the investment community is still sitting on the sidelines. We'll tell you why that could be changing. It is Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023, and you're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. Good morning. Welcome to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Holland. Let's get you ready to start your day. As always, we kick off the hour with a check on U.S. stock futures. Taking a look right now. Um, They're seeing them move higher this morning right now. Looks like the Dow would open up about 50 points higher. The S&P and the Nasdaq also solidly in the green. Now, this follows a mostly higher session for stocks yesterday. That saw the Russell 2000 post its fifth positive session in a row. That's the first time it did that since mid-July. Small caps are once again positive for the year. You can see right here, up almost 1% year-to-date. But important to note, they're also below their 250-day moving average. All right, we're also checking the bond market. With the 10-year coming off its lowest close since September, taking a look right now at the benchmark at 456 This is well below its year high that it reached earlier this month of 4.8. Important to note also the 30-year bond, a big indicator on inflation expectations and also investor confidence well off of its highs. It hit 4.96 earlier this month, now at 4.72. We're also looking at the energy market. As always, begin with oil, WTI, the U.S. benchmark right now, trading at 85.74 a barrel, down a quarter of a percent. Brent crude, a very similar story, also down a quarter of a percent. At 87.43, natural gas moving significantly higher, up one and a half percent. This has been part of a trend we've seen in recent days. All right, that's your setup for the U.S. markets. Now we're going to go to a news alert from Washington. The White House announcing sweeping new rules to crack down on what it calls junk fees and promote competition across several sectors. That includes banking, travel, leisure, and housing. So as part of this framework, the FTC is looking to ban businesses from charging hidden and misleading fees. That's what they call them. Also, the FTC is requiring them to show the full price up front. Examples include resort fees, live event venue fees, car rentals, and much more. The White House is also tapping the CFPB to take action requiring large banks and credit unions to stop charging fees for basic services like checking account balances or requesting loan payoffs. Taking a look right here. You can see bank stocks are actually higher right now, but we're going to continue to watch the action on bank stocks this morning. And for much more on the banking angle and the impact to the sector, joining me now on the CNBC Newsline is CNBC.com banking reporter Hugh Sun. Hugh, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, hey Frank. Thanks. Good to be here. So give us, give us a sense. These, this new regulation framework, what could this mean for the biggest banks and also regional banks and credit unions? 
Yeah, yeah. For, for banks, this is no surprise. This is codifying a couple of trends that are known. Uh, so this idea that, that people should be able to switch uh, institutions, that they should not be trapped uh, essentially in their banks, and that they should be able to get offerings from a wider variety of providers, this is something that's been established. So this open banking idea, which started in Europe, uh, it was known that this is coming to the U.S., and this is the form that's coming. The CFPB is going to essentially propose to make it easier for folks to be able to switch banks. So that's on the one hand. That's supposed to spur innovation and competition. On the other hand, you know, this assault on, on fees, junk fees, uh, has been going on for a while. You know, the banks have been proactively reducing overdraft fees, in some cases like B of A reducing it, uh, overdraft fees from 35 to $10 in that case, or Capital One reducing them and cutting them all together. And they've said that they're basically doing that proactively. Uh, and so, you know, this is, this is, uh, the industry knows this is coming. And, and for the most part, you know, they've been dealing with it. And I think that's how you see the stock reaction today. All right. So you're mentioning the stock reaction here. Right now, we're looking at some of the stocks right now. The big banks, they're moving fractionally higher. However, we are seeing the regional banks moving lower, uh, a few banks significantly lower while we're talking right now. Um, these so-called junk fees, that's obviously what the administration is calling them. I'm not sure banks quite see them as junk fees. How important are, are they to the top and the bottom line of the regional banks that, again, that we see moving lower right now? Yeah, I mean, they're, they're a larger uh, proportion of, of the fees, of the revenue fees for smaller banks. And, and, you know, even for the largest, you know, you have J.P. Morgan. They collected $1.25 in overdraft fees last year, which is a huge amount. Other banks, less so, and they've walked away from it. Um, I mean, from the bank's perspective, they're saying, hey, look, you guys are already raising capital levels on us. There was a proposal in July on that. They're, they're going back and forth on that. You're already making it harder for us to, to operate in some of these regulated markets. And more is being pushed to the private markets. And that's their, that's their you know, their, their main resistance to this. They're saying, when is this enough? You know, you guys have keep pushing us, pushing us out of these regulated businesses. All right. Our Hugh Sun, CNBC.com banker reporter. Always great to have you here for your insight on the financial sector. Appreciate it. All right, we're turning our attention now to another breaking story we're following this morning. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen speaking on the sidelines of the International Monetary Fund and the World Bank meetings in Marrakesh, Morocco, saying while some countries are seeing slowing growth, Treasury does not see signs of broad spillovers destabilizing the global economy, but her team is monitoring downside risk. Yellen adding she is watching for potential economic impacts from the crisis in Israel, but at this point, she is not seeing the attacks as having a major impact on the economy. We'll continue to watch those meetings and bring you the latest from there. All right, now we get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. We have our Silvana Hanau here with those. Silvana, good morning. Hey, Frank, good morning to you. Well, Nova Nordisk shares are higher, saying it will stop a trial study of Ozempic to treat kidney failure in diabetes patients ahead of schedule almost a year early. The company says its independent monitoring committee has found the data was good enough and that the treatment would succeed. Novo expects to release the results of the study early next year. Blackstone is in preliminary talks with Walt Disney to acquire a stake in the company's India business. Now, if confirmed, the interest would make the private equity giant the latest suitor for Disney assets in the hyper-competitive Indian market where Disney has been exploring a sale or joint venture. And ExxonMobil is reportedly close to a $58 billion deal to buy Pioneer Natural Resources for more than $250 a share. The all-stock deal is expected to be announced as soon as today, according to multiple reports, Frank. All right, certainly something to watch. Pioneer shares moving almost 2.5% higher. Yeah. Silvana, thank you very much. We'll see you later yeah, right. in the show. 
All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that investors have to know today. But first, a clash of the Fed heads. Why Michelle Bowman, why she just said this morning that's putting her view at odds with Tuesday's talkers. Plus, a look at the business climate in Israel and what major company is telling its employees as the conflict there enters its fifth day. And then later, damning testimony from one of Sam Bankman-Fried's former lieutenants and his ex-girlfriend as his criminal trial now enters its second week. We have a very busy hour still ahead when Worldwide Exchange returns. Stay with us. What does it mean to be rich? Is it having more stories to share or time to give? Is it being able to keep your loved ones close or travel somewhere far away? At Edward Jones, we believe the key to being rich is knowing what counts. Your dedicated financial advisor will take a comprehensive approach to your financial strategy to help support what truly matters to you. EdwardJones.com slash findyourrich. Edward Jones, member SIPC. Picture this. You're on a John Deere compact tractor, enjoying the sun as you clear brush across your pasture. You just have to get in the seat. Learn more at JohnDeere.com slash get in the seat or visit a dealer near you. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Taking a look at U.S. futures right now. The Dow off of its highs of earlier this morning. However, all three indices are solidly in the green. Let's now see how Europe is shaping up as this trading trading day just gets underway. We have our Juliana Tattlebaum. She's in our London newsroom with much more on the early action. Juliana. Frank, good morning. Well, let me start out by saying that we're opening today's trading session after the best trading day of the year for the stock 600. Here's what we have right now. Green for some markets, but red for others. So a mixed start to trade today. There is one basket of stocks in particular getting hit hard, and it lies in France. You've got the CAC 40 underperforming down seven-tenths of a percent. Breaking it down by sector, you can see the sector I'm talking about. It is household goods that's underperforming. We'll get you a chart in just a second, hopefully. Here we have have it. Household goods down more than 2%, and that has bounced off the lows of the morning. Outside of household goods, retail also underperforming down about 1.4%, then a bit of, bit of a drop-off. Travel and leisure down just 7 tenths of a percent. On the upside, you've got utilities up 1%, oil and gas also faring well this morning. So what's going on in household goods? I want to zoom into this sector for you. It's the luxury names. They're coming under massive selling pressure this morning. LVMH has reported that sales have slowed in the third quarter as post-pandemic spending eased amid rising inflationary pressures. The luxury giant is seeing demand in the U.S. and Europe slow, while the recovery in China has been uneven. Now, LVMH shares are down nearly 7% this morning. We've had recently a number of brokers downgrade luxury names in Europe, but LVMH has remained a favorite among the analyst community and among the investment community. So it seems as though positioning is playing a role this morning in why we've seen such a dramatic sell-off in LVMH. It has filtered through to the other names we're seeing Hugo Boss down more than 2%, Richemont down nearly 4%, Burberry down, was down more than 4% at one stage this morning. We bounced off the lows here. So massive selling across the luxury space after these LVMH results that came through after the close yesterday. Frank? All right, Juliana, thank you very much. Our Juliana Tattlebaum live in our London newsroom. All right, we're going to turn our attention now back to the U.S. The market's getting a boost this week from a number of Fed officials offering a dovish take on the central bank's next move. Among them, Minneapolis Fed President Neil Kashkari saying 
It's possible. The, ri- the recent rise in bond yields is doing some of the work for the Fed in bringing inflation down, and they may not need to raise rates, at least not as much. We heard similar remarks from Atlanta Fed President Raphael Bostic and San Francisco's Mary Daly as well. However, speaking at the IMF meetings in Morocco in just the last hour, Fed Governor Michelle Bowman says despite some progress on inflation, the central bank may need to tighten policy further to restore price stability. Right now, traders are pricing in increasing odds the Fed does not hike rates again this year. The CME FedWatch tool has an 84 percent chance of no hike in November and a 71 percent chance of no hike in December. Let's talk about this now with Vance Howard, CEO of Howard Capital Management. Vance, good morning. Great to have you here. Hey, good morning, Frank. How are you? All right. So just taking a look at the situation right now, we're on pace for a winning week. The three major indices um, in the green bond yields fell on. And there's also expectations that we just mentioned from the CME FedWatch tool of the Fed pausing or at least not raising rates again in the next two meetings. Um, in this current environment, also with the geopolitical uncertainty, how are you advising your clients to position? Are you bullish on stocks? Are you bullish on bonds? What are you telling them to do? Well, we're still bullish. You know, the HCM byline, the trend's still up. I think you got to trade the trend. So you, you need these pullbacks are buying opportunities. But, you know, you've got a tremendous amount of geopolitical risk out there, Frank, as you've been watching. I mean, you've got, you know, you've got China, you know, saber rattling with, with Taiwan. You've got Russia and Ukraine. And now you've got Israel being attacked, which was a. All right. Looks like we're having some technical like difficulties to advance. Vance, we're having a, a bit of an issue with your your feed right now. So I think we're going to maybe take the video off and just have you keep talking. So please continue where you picked up and we'll let you know if there's a problem. Okay. Yeah. And Frank, you know, like we've been telling our, our clients is that with geopolitical risk, you need to have an active approach to investing because this uh, passive investing approach may not work if we get. All right. Unfortunately, I think we're having some technical difficulties with Vance. We're going to thank Vance for being here. We're going to move on with the show. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, I speak with the head of the fourth largest public pension fund in the U.S. We get his take on the 5% rate risk and what he's doing with his fund that has more than $250 billion in assets under management. Much more coming up after this break. From a flat tire in the city to a dead battery on a distant drive. AAA is partnering with T-Mobile for Business to accelerate response times and get more drivers back on the road fast. Our nationwide connectivity powers location telematics, so AAA's fleet can find stranded drivers quickly while being fully equipped with the in-vehicle tools to have answers when they get there. This is elevating the member experience. This is AAA with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. All right. Welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. The Israel-Hamas war is now entering its fifth day as the government prepares for a larger military campaign. White House officials telling NBC News President Biden in a private phone call yesterday urged Israel's prime minister to minimize civilian casualties in the Gaza Strip as Israel continues its retaliation against Hamas. The call coming after the president contemned the attacks on Israel and vowed U.S. support for its Mideast ally. NBC News' Kelly Kobiela joins us now from Tel Aviv with the very latest. Kelly? 
Frank, good morning. And that bombardment it continued overnight and into the morning in Gaza from Israel. And the European Union is now calling uh, for a humanitarian corridor in Gaza, as well as an end to the blockade on water, drinking water, food and electricity to Gaza. Uh, the U.S. somewhat responsive to that. U.S. Um, National Security Advisor Jake Sullivan said that the U.S. and is in talks with Israel and Egypt about opening up some sort of safe passage in the south, that crossing in the south from Gaza uh, into Egypt so that civilians can get away from the bombing. People have said that they uh, they know that uh, that bombing that the bombing is coming that they simply have no place safe to go the united nations is there there are uh, schools there which they're using as shelters but the U the un says even some of those schools about 20 schools so far have been damaged as well uh, very dire situation there the shelters are overcrowded there's not enough food or drinking water here in Israel, uh, the number of dead continues to climb primarily because the military is going house to house in the south and they continue to find victims. And the families are still uh, wondering what happened to their loved ones. They're handing over DNA to officials as officials slowly, uh, as quickly as they can really, but slowly go through uh, the number of bodies. We're talking about hundreds of bodies um, from this event on Saturday and try to identify them and then notify families. So many, many families here in Israel are in this terrible limbo of not hearing from their loved ones since Saturday, turning over their DNA, and then simply waiting for a phone call. Frank. All right, Kelly, thank you very much. Kelly Kobiea, live from Tel Aviv. We really appreciate it. Thank you. Well, as the Israel-Hamas Israel war continues, companies around the world, they are feeling the effects of the conflict with many Israeli firms seeing up to half of their staff being mobilized, that's according to the Wall Street Journal. Other corporations with Israel-based employees are telling workers to stay home as they temporarily consider shutting down operations. Joining me now from Israel is Tal Jacobson, CEO of Pirion Network, a global technology company with offices in Tel Aviv and Halan, Israel. Tal, good morning. Thank you for being here. Hey, good morning, Frank, and thanks for having me. Well, we want to thank you again for making time to speak with us during this very difficult time for you and for your employees and your nation. Um, I do want to ask you, how are you doing emotionally? How's your staff doing emotionally? And how are your operations right now with so much uncertainty? Uh, so, you know, first and foremost, I want to say, you know, the, our heart goes out to all the victims. Currently, over 1,200 people got murdered. Um, you know, we're all emotionally um, sickened But what's going on. Uh, and we know, you know, Israel is not, that's not the first time that Israel operates under a crisis mode. Unfortunately, Israelis are used to work under crisis modes. And we're constantly thinking about worst case scenarios when we're building companies and where we're um, just on a day-to-day -day basis, always think on uh, worst-case scenarios. And we're building companies out of those uh, spectrums, right? I mean, even our servers uh, from most Israeli companies are not based in Israel. Uh, we're, since COVID, everybody's gotten used to working remotely. This is another example of how we work remotely. So while emotionally, it's very, it's very hard for everyone to work uh, operationally, everything works as usual. While we're all, you know, hoping for better days. 
Understood. I can see we can see the emotion that you're going through. I'm sure you've been personally impacted as many other people in your nation have been. Um, I yeah, want to ask you a bit more about the operations. I know you say you're, you're operating mostly normal and obviously the disruption of COVID prepared you for some of these things where you had to stay at home. But is there any shift in operations at all? Or is, there, is there any you know, negative impact to so much uncertainty there in your nation and also the conflict? So, you know, business wise, nothing has been impacted because our company and most Israeli companies, most high tech Israeli companies are not are not working on, on the Israeli market. So, you know, our vast majority of revenue comes from the U.S. market and then some of it from uh, Europe. So revenue wise and operation wise, we are prepared for that. OK. So, you know, and I think most high tech companies in Israel are the same state. All right. So we're looking at some of your partners right now, uh, HBO, McDonald's, GM, a number of blue chip U.S. companies. Um, I do want to ask you, obviously, you have much bigger concerns right now. But just looking at your stock in recent days, uh, your stock, along with a number of other Israeli based stocks, have taken a, a pretty sharp decline, trading lower than the broader market. Clearly, investors or apparently investors are concerned about the situation. What would you tell your investors? So, you know, in, in the past few years, the Perion stock is, is outperformed dramatically. And I think our investors, especially American investors, know that uh, how our company works. They know our market, our partners. I think this will not harm the, the company. And I think, you know, anything, uh, we're getting hundreds of emails and messages from partners, from investors um, you know, asking for our well-being, uh, showing their support. So we're very confident in that. All right. Tal Jacobson from Perion Network, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate your time during this difficult time for you personally, for your company, and for your country. All right. Much thank more worldwide exchange coming up after this. Please stay with us. It is right around 530 a.m. in the New York City area, and there's just a lot more ahead here on Worldwide Exchange. Here's what's still on deck. Stocks looking to make it four straight sessions of gains on the back of increasingly dovish comments out of the Fed, with more central bank chiefs speaking today. House Republicans set to cast their votes to replace Kevin McCarthy as the Speaker of the House. We're live in D.C. with more on the potential replacements and the ramifications that choice may have on the global stage. And a fresh test of the tepid IPO market as Birkenstock plays it safe and pricing shares ahead of its public market debut. It is Wednesday, October the 11th, 2023. You're watching Worldwide Exchange right here on CNBC. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. I'm Frank Collins. Get you ready to start the day. As always, we pick up the half an hour with a check on U.S. stock futures with all three major indices coming off a third straight day of gains. Right now, you can see they are solidly in the green in the pre-market. Looks like the Dow would open up just about 50 points higher. So we're talking about three-day win streak for the major indices, the win streak even longer for the small caps. The Russell 2000 rising more than 1% yesterday. You see it right there. It's fifth straight day of gains, putting it back in positive territory for the year. You can see right here, up almost 1%. Important to note, though, the small caps are still trading below their 200-day and 50-day moving average. So we're also following some fresh comments from the Fed this morning with Governor Michelle Bowman repeating her view that despite some progress on inflation, the central bank will probably need to tighten monetary policy further to restore price stability. 
We also want to get a check on the bond market this morning. Following Bowman's comments, taking a look right now at yields, as always, we begin with the benchmark 10-year at 4.56, uh, still well below its year high. That happened actually earlier this month of 4.8. Also important to note, the 30-year, the long bond, well off of its high of 4.96. This is a good gauge on expectations of inflation and also investor confidence. All right, we also want to look at the energy market, specifically oil. We begin with WTI, the U.S. benchmark, down, uh, taking a dip lower since we started the show just a short time ago, down now more than a third of a percent, trading at 85.64 a barrel. Similar story for Brent crude at 87.32. And again, natural gas, really the outperformer in energy, off of its highs of earlier, but still up over 1%. All right, that's the look at the U.S. markets. Now we're going to get a check on some of this morning's top corporate stories. Our Silvana Hanau is here with those. Silvana. Hey, friend, good morning. Bergenstock is set to begin trading on the New York Stock Exchange today, pricing its IPO in the middle of its range at $46 a share with an $8.6 billion valuation. Now, at that price, the German sandal maker will raise about $1.5 billion, with a third of that cash going to repay debt, with the rest going to private equity owner L. Catterton. Birkenstock CEO will be on Squawk on the Street today at 11.30 a.m. Eastern Time. Europe's internal market commissioner is giving Elon Musk 24 hours to respond to concerns over misinformation being spread on his ex-platform regarding the war in Israel. The letter comes after dozens of researchers, news organizations and other groups have documented a rise of misleading, false and questionable content on X, creating confusion about the current conflict. Failure to comply with the commissioner could lead to fines worth about 6 percent of X's annual revenue. And in the second week of the trial, damning testimony from Sam Bankman-Fried's ex-girlfriend and former CEO of FTX sister company Alameda Research. Taking the stand yesterday during Bankman-Fried's criminal trial, Caroline Ellison, who has already pleaded guilty to a number of charges and is cooperating with prosecutors, says Bankman-Fried directed her to commit her crimes and is the, main, is the man solely responsible for the loss of billions of dollars in customer funds. Her testimony will continue today, Frank. All right, Silvana, thank you very much. Yes. All right, turn our attention now to Washington, D.C., where House Republicans are slated to cast their votes to pick their next candidate for House Speaker behind closed doors today. This vote coming just over a week after the vote to remove Kevin McCarthy. Emily Wilkins joins us now. Emily, good morning. What can we expect in today's proceedings? Well, good morning, Frank. Well, there's a lot of uncertainty about how today is going to unfold. So we do know that House Republicans, as you said, they're going to vote this morning on who they want their nominee for the next speaker to be. Last night, members heard from Jim Jordan and Steve Scalise. They made their pitch about why they should wind up being the speaker nominee. Now, neither currently has enough votes to actually win the gavel. And members are pretty divided between who they actually support. And a lot of members haven't even said at this point who they will back. Congressman Mike Garcia, who represents the district that voted for Biden in 2020 and therefore is very critical to Republicans keeping the House in 2024, said that he could back either candidate. I think both of them understand the big picture here, and this is a fight to save our country. So I don't, I don't have doubt that either one, both of them are going to be able to raise money. Both of them are going to be able to go to the swing states, uh, swing dis districts and help people out and fight the good fight. 
Kevin McCarthy, whose name was floated by several members who are hoping for a comeback, said last night that he doesn't want to be nominated for speaker today, that it's going to be a race between Scalise and Jordan. But a speaker candidate isn't the only thing Republicans have to decide on. See, right now, whoever gets a majority of the House Republicans backing them becomes the candidate for speaker. But Republicans, they do not want another 15 rounds of votes for speaker like we saw in January. So members could decide to stay behind closed doors until one candidate gets 217 votes. That is the amount needed to become speaker. So it's not clear how long it's going to take to actually elect a speaker. Some lawmakers have said it's going to be done today. Others have said that it could take much longer. Frank? So, Emily, obviously, there's like a, a lot of geopolitical issues playing out right now. How is the crisis in Israel playing into this vote? Well, Frank, obviously, the House is completely paralyzed. There's not really anything that they can do right now on the floor. They can't pass a resolution. They can't pass additional funding until they get a speaker in place. So that's definitely put pressure on lawmakers to come to some sort of decision here. And yesterday we heard President Biden say, hey, when Congress gets back, when the Senate comes back next week, he is going to be sending a request. And lawmakers will have to figure out whether they want to pass funding for Israel separate from another funding request from Ukraine, how they bundle those together, what that looks like. But of course, before any of that happens, they have to decide on a speaker. All right. Emily Wilkins, live in D.C. Emily, thank you very much. For much more on today's speaker Thanks. vote and continued dysfunction in D.C., let's bring in Stephen Myro, managing partner at Beacon Policy Advisors. Stephen, good morning. Great to have you here. Thanks for having me, Frank. All right. So Emily just gave us the setup. Give us a sense. How do you view this vote for speaker on the Republican side, at least? Are you expecting this to take a long time? And, and who do you expect to come out as the winner? So the first thing is what Emily pointed to, Frank, which is this procedural vote, which sounds like, from what we're hearing in D.C., it's likely to go so that they increase the threshold to make it 217. The interesting part here is Jim Jordan is pushing for that raising the threshold to 217, while Steve Scalise really wants to keep it at the, the current simple majority. That's because for Scalise, he thinks it'll be easier for him to get the simple majority earlier on. And that would force, you know, create pressure on the conference to coalesce around him. While Jordan probably recognizes that Scalise would probably have a better chance of getting the simple majority. But he thinks the longer they keep it behind closed doors and the pressure would build for and he would be able to pick off people to get to 217. So, at, okay. like everything Washington, process Trump's substance. <laughs> so I do want to ask you, um, you believe that if Jim Jordan is selected, that reduces the odds of us having a government shutdown. Explain that. Why is that? It's really interesting because, you know, while Kevin McCarthy was still in power, we were always saying that we were short-term negative in the sense that increased chance of shutdown, but long-term positive that they would eventually get by April 30th before the 1% sequester kicked in, that they would be able to hit the numbers that they have in, for the spending levels in, in the debt limit deal. With the change in speakership, the, the, you know, McCarthy, though he struggled with how to manage the, the hard right part of his conference, he actually, and his heart, agreed with the Democrats and Senate Republicans on the big-ticket items like FY24 spending. But uh, Jordan and Scalise, but particularly Jordan, do not. They probably would be happy with 
accepting the 1% cut. But where Jordan came out with a plan last night, what he told the conference was, let's just take a clean CR from November 17th when the current one expires all the way up to April 30th. And instead of using shutdown as the leverage, let's use the leverage of the 1% sequester. Now, McCarthy, he offered that. The the conference would have revolted, but that's because they trust that Jordan more than... Arthi will, will stick to okay, it. Okay, understood, Stephen. Also, we want to just touch on, on the broader implications of this speaker house vote. Of course, we have the conflict in Israel and also funding for the war in Ukraine. Um, how does this impact both of those? Again, this is the first time in history the speaker of the house has been removed. Sure. Emily, you know, I think pointed out rightly that this adds pressure once they uh, make the formal request, which is expected next week for the, for the Israeli aid. Uh, the Republic, House Republicans are warning them not to combine it with the Ukraine aid. It, it seems to, to us a beacon that politically it makes sense for Biden to combine them initially or at least to urge uh, uh, his allies in Congress to push for that, even if they have to separate it to move the Israeli aid quickly. Trying that at first would show that, one, the, the, the contrast between Republicans and Democrats, and two, it would send a message overseas that he really wants the Ukraine aid. All right, Stephen Myro, thank you very much for being here. We appreciate your time and your insight. Thanks for having me. All right, turning now to a market flash this morning. It's on Walgreens. Shares moving higher right now. Our Bertha Coombs joins us now with much more on this story. Bertha, good morning. Good morning, Frank. Yeah, Walgreens announcing that veteran healthcare executive Tim Wentworth will be its new CEO. Walgreens chair Stefano Pacina saying the board wanted someone with deep healthcare experience, and Wentworth has that. He was the CEO of pharmacy benefits giant Express Scripts, which was acquired by Cigna in 2018. He stayed on and served as head of Cigna's health services division then retired in 2021. Now, Wentworth told me that the chance to lead an iconic brand like Walgreens lured him back to the C-suite. He said it's a massive platform. They touch almost 10 million people a day. It needs someone that can come in and take the and the great team that we have, but get it focused on a strategy that investors understand. Now, today's announcement comes five weeks after Roz Brewer stepped down as CEO, just two years on the job, during which she pivoted the drugstore chain toward a health services business model, put big investments in Village MD primary care and home care with CareCentrics have pressured profits at a time when COVID vaccine sales have lagged. Last quarter, Walgreens earnings missed for the first time in three years. The company reports Q4 earnings tomorrow. Wentworth gets a fresh start with the new fiscal year. He starts on October 23rd. Frank? All right, Bertha, thank you very much. Our Bertha Coombs with that market flash right there. Again, Walgreens shares moving more than 1% higher. All right, coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, our week-long special series diving into sectors most impacted by rising rates. It rolls on. We're going to talk to the CIO of one of the largest public pension plans in the U.S. on his investment strategy around higher for longer. We are back with much more Worldwide Exchange coming up in a moment. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Turning back to interest rates in our week-long special look at what a theoretical five-handle on the 10-year Treasury could mean for the markets. One huge part of the investment community is still sitting on the sidelines despite the massive run-up. But my next guest says that could all be about to change. 
Stephen Meyer is the chief investment officer and deputy comptroller for asset management for the New York City Retirement System. That's the fourth largest public pension plan in the U.S. with approximately $257 billion in, in assets under management, serving about 800,000 current and retired public sector sector workers. Stephen, good morning. Great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. Thanks for having me. All right. So let's talk about this big run up when it comes to rates. Obviously, they have eased back in recent days because of the geopolitical conflict. But when you look at these rising rates, is this a concern or is this an opportunity? Well, I think it's both. I think it's a concern that when rates move this dramatically, this fast, um, oftentimes something breaks. Uh, we've seen that over the course of my last 40 year career, um, that uh, these abrupt moves in rates can cause strains in the marketplace. Um, from an investment standpoint, I think it's a good opportunity to be stepping into bonds. I think, um, obviously, with base rates higher, there's a significant uh, amount of, 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 of yield that you can uh, invest uh, just through U.S. Treasury investments. On top of that, you have investment grade and high yield uh, credit spreads, which have widened out a little bit. Uh, you have investment grade credit spreads about 125 over uh, base rates and in high yield, about 420 over. So we actually think that those levels are compelling uh, and that fixed income is attractive at these uh, levels. So, Stephen, I noticed you said this could be an opportunity to step in. It sounds like you haven't already. And I know, according to our research, you say a lot of pension funds, they haven't already gotten into bonds despite yields moving higher. Um, why the delay? Why not jump in earlier when we've seen these yields go higher? Well, that's a great question, Frank. So we're in bonds. So we're a long-term strategic uh, investor, we actually adhere to a strategic asset allocation that actually we set uh, every three to five years over a normal market or economic cycle. Uh, and that process is ongoing uh, at this point. We've had some legislative changes in New York State, which also applies to the city, where we're going to increase our allocation to alternative assets as well, uh, meaning private equity, private credit, infrastructure, core and non-core real estate, uh, hedge funds and the like. All right. So I'm looking at some of your allocations right now. You have about Seven and a half percent in two areas that I think are pretty interesting right now. Four point one percent in opportunistic fixed income. The other three point three percent in tips um, right now. Are you, are you looking to possibly expand that part of your portfolio and, and give us a sense exactly what is opportunistic fixed income? Yeah, opportunistic fixed income is a fancy way of saying alternative credit or private credit. Uh, we actually like that area a lot. Typically, those those are floating rate obligations. Credit spreads are, are widened out. You can achieve 10 to 12 percent returns over time, uh, and we are looking to increase our allocations there. Uh, the other asset class you mentioned, TIPS, you know, candidly has underperformed expectations despite the fact that we've had high inflations uh, peaking in, at 9 percent in, in June of 2022. Um, what we've experienced is that TIPS tend to respond more to um, inflation expectations longer term, and yet they still have a duration exposure that, that's, that's made it challenging. So despite the fact that we had you know, historically high inflation recent history, um, they actually underperformed last year. So we tend to favor core fixed income over tips. Okay. Uh, we like credit, as I said, both uh, public credit, high yield investment grade, as well as private market uh, alternative credit. All right. So you mentioned you're about to make some investment decisions right now. So as you're looking forward, Q4 and beyond, obviously you have a lot of obligations to your members. We just mentioned 800,000 of them. Um, are you more bullish on equities? Or are you more bullish on bonds? And when we look at bonds, is it short term or long term? 
I think relative to where they were priced, say, a year or two ago, I think bonds are attractive at these levels. I think base rates moving higher provides a nice balance for the portfolio. Although what we've seen recently in the last, say, six months or so, we've seen an increased correlation between equity and stock prices. Uh, If you look at the performance last year, it was a little bit challenging in that you had uh, equities sell off and bonds sell off significantly. And I think a lot of that had to do with just the level of rates. Um, Remember, in March of 2020, we had rates that were as low as 10-year U.S. Treasury yields, as low as 51 basis points. Um, so that's there's not a lot of room for price appreciation there uh, and not a lot of carries. So with base rates moving higher, carries increase for both sovereign debt as well as, as credit, which I think really helps power the yield and helps us make those payments, as you said, to our beneficiaries, uh, our plan beneficiaries. All right. Stephen Meyer from the New York City Retirement System. Thank you so much for being here. We appreciate you both your time and your insight. Not at all. Thank you, Frank. All right. Coming up here on Worldwide Exchange, we have the one word that every investor needs to know today, plus RBC's Amy Wu Silverman on why she says the Magnificent Seven need to hold the line to help the broader markets. And as we head to break, CNBC is celebrating Hispanic heritage, sharing the stories of influential Hispanic business leaders with you. Here's Colgate Palmolive Chief Supply Chain Officer Luciano Sieber. What others can learn from my journey is that if an industrial engineer from a factory in Brazil can become the chief supply chain officer of Colgate Palmolive, then it means that anyone can can not only achieve but go beyond their dreams. Be proud of your heritage. Be proud of your identity. At the end, those are your superpowers. What you bring with you from your country is really what defines you as a professional and as a human being. All right, welcome back to Worldwide Exchange. Time now for your WEX wrap-up. We begin with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen saying this morning she does not see evidence of global economic destabilization despite slowing growth in some countries. Yellen adding she is watching for the potential impact from the conflict in Israel but does not see any major economic impact, at least not at this point. Blackstone reportedly in early talks to acquire a stake in Disney's India arm as the company explores a sale or joint venture partner for its digital and TV business uh, shares of both companies up fractionally right now. The president of China's country garden resigning as the embattled property developer grapples with debt and liquidity concern uh, shares of those that that stock, however, up just about four percent right now in Hong Kong. And ExxonMobil reportedly to buy, uh, reportedly set to buy Pioneer Natural Resources for nearly $60 billion, or about $250 a share, which would make it the largest deal this year and Exxon's biggest purchase since it bought Mobil back in 1999. Shares of Pioneer up almost 2.5%. And Novo Nordisk are announcing it's halting a trial study of its Ozempic to treat kidney failure in diabetes patients, saying it has found enough good data to ensure that the treatment will succeed. Those shares up more than 3%. All right, here's what to watch today. Weekly mortgage apps and September producer price index, both on tap this morning. And another busy day of Fed speak with Governor Christopher Waller, Atlanta President Raphael Bostic, and Boston President Susan Collins, all delivering speeches. Those Fed speeches, a key focus for investors today, along with fresh inflation data and growing speculation of the central bank heading towards another rate hike pause. Joining me now, Amy Wu Silverman, head of derivative strategy at RBC Capital Markets. Amy, good morning. It's always great to have you here. Good morning, Frank. All right. So we mentioned there's a lot of uh, dovish Fed speak out right now. With that in mind, what's your Wexware of the day? 
So my wet score today is a little bit of the opposite of that. It's tail risk. And the reason I say that is, look, yes, obviously the geopolitical events in the last few days have really changed the tail possibilities that are in the market. But what I find very interesting is you're not seeing it reflected in volatility at all, Frank. When we first saw Russia-Ukraine happen, you actually saw VIX spike to 35 we actually haven't seen anything of the sort so far in VIX has stayed subdued and below 20. Amy Wu being a bit of a, a contrarian this morning. All right. So I do want to talk to you about some of the, some action in the market we've seen. We've seen small caps really rally over the last couple of days. As a matter of fact, over the last week, they're the best performer out of all the indices. What do you make of that? Is that simply just the easing of the bond yield pressure? Look, I think that has a lot to do with it. I do think growth versus value, small cap versus large cap. These kind of trades are ones that investors have been hoping works for a long time. Uh, It's something our own strategist has called for from a valuation perspective. I think it's a little bit too early to tell right now. We've seen these kind of go ahead and then lose momentum. So we'll have to see if that continues now. And I do think when you look at it, it's also just a question at this point of valuation. All right. So, you know, this, this uh, time during the day, we really like to focus on moves looking ahead. So with the idea that bond yields are easing right now, um, what picks are you looking at right now that you think are, are more investable in light of lower bond yields? Yeah, you know, what's interesting is conversations we've had with clients since last week into today, which just this question of have we really seen a bottom in these rate-sensitive sectors. You saw these massive sell-offs last week in your TLT, in your utilities, in a lot of consumer areas that would be hit hard as as rates go higher. And so the question of, and and frankly, the geopolitics bakes into this, right? Because some questions of whether or not the rate easing will happen more because of these geopolitical risks, I do think people are starting to ask, look, have we seen a bottom? And if that is the case, are those same rate-sensitive sectors I mentioned before the ones that we can finally have some upside in? And people are starting to look at that. Yeah, both uh, the TLT making a big move upside in the pre-market utilities just fractionally higher. Um, Got to ask you about the mega cap names, the Magnificent Seven, NVIDIA, Alphabet, et cetera. Um, right now, what's your view on them? So, look, these are names where when you look at option sentiment, more or less, it's been pretty sanguine. I would say Apple is the one outlier where I do think the risk coming out of China has increased put skews, so increased that demand for downside hedges in the name. But on an overall basis, you know, volatility isn't screaming high. You're not seeing warning signs. And a lot of what we've talked to people about is it's just math. So that concentration of names in that magnificent seven is what will hold the line in your NASDAQ and your S&P. So if those are still okay, it's very hard to see how you can have a very brutal sell-off in the market. All right, Amy Wilsilverman, always great to have you here. Always appreciate the time and the insight. Thank you, Frank. Quick look at futures right now before we let you go. Taking a look in the green across the board, looks like the Dow would open up just about 60, 65 points higher right now. Both the S&P and the NASDAQ uh, up just under a quarter of a percent in the pre-market. But as always, we, we say it's pretty early right now. And now we're going to toss things over to Squawk Box. Thank you for watching. You've been listening to CNBC's Worldwide Exchange. You can always catch us live weekdays at 5 a.m. Eastern. From pit lane to podium, the Las Vegas Grand Prix is providing fans a race day experience at the speed they deserve. 
with the help of T-Mobile for Business. Our 5G advanced network solutions are powering race day operations with event-wide connectivity. From streamlined gate entry to an immersive app, giving fans blazing fast access to the sport they love. This is accelerating innovation. This is the Las Vegas Grand Prix with T-Mobile for Business. Take your business further at T-Mobile.com slash now. 